Today I'll be reading Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Good evening. We're going to be looking, as was read a moment ago, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We appreciate your presence tonight. We're going to be talking about the harvest. And do we care about the harvest? I want us to look at what Matthew has to say about Jesus and the harvest and the need for laborers in the harvest. In our lesson tonight, I want to begin by first of all talking about the fact that Jesus saw people in the harvest. Listen again to what is recorded by Matthew. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Two things here. First of all, I believe in looking at this particular text, that Jesus was interested in people. When I made the statement a moment ago, Jesus saw people in the harvest. Sometimes I think we get lost in quote unquote numbers. And we think about numbers and we forget about behind every number is a human being and behind every human being is a soul. Jesus had tremendous interest in people. And sometimes maybe we need to ask the question as children of God, are we genuinely interested in people? Do we care about people? Jesus not only cared about people, but he demonstrated time and again his great interest in people. And I want you to think about all the different kinds of people that Jesus showed interest in. Really in verses 35 and 36, we have somewhat in capsule form the number of people that Jesus showed interest in. Note, for example, what Matthew records again. Verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Let me just say this, first and foremost. Jesus saw people who were sinful. That is, he understood the magnitude of sin, what sin had done to the human family. And thus his purpose, wherever he went, whatever village, whatever town, whatever city, wherever the Lord went, he always sought to lift people up by preaching and teaching a message of comfort and hope, didn't he? Back in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, you recall when Jesus encouraged Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him. 
In verse 10, Matthew said that Jesus sat at the table in the house that is in Matthew's house, and many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They misunderstood the whole nature of Jesus' mission here upon this earth. Look, as he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For as he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus saw people who were sinful, who had a problem that had separated them from their God. And so I want to ask you, when we talk about our interest in people, are we interested in people and are we interested in people who are living in sin? You look at all the different kinds of people that, reached out, that Jesus reached out to. We talk about tax collectors and publicans. In Luke 19, Jesus went to the home of Zacchaeus and made a profound difference in his life. In John chapter 4, he's sitting down talking to a Samaritan woman, a woman that was despised, a woman that was an outcast by the Jewish people, and yet Jesus didn't look at her like that. So when we see people, do we see people who are in sin but who have a need, a special need, the need of salvation? And then, note if you would, not only did he see people who were sinful, but he saw people who were sick. The text says that he healed every sickness. Let me just pause here for a minute. There are a lot of people in our world today who are physically sick. And sometimes people have to hit rock bottom before they can find their way up. It might be the case that there are people in this community that are physically sick. And I would add to that, note if you would the continuation in verse 35. He said, Jesus healed every sickness and every disease among the people. There are people in this community that are sick and suffering. Do we care? Are we interested in them? Are we interested in their physical well-being? Is it possible that if we reached out to them in their physical duress that we could have an open door to talk to them about their spiritual need? You ever thought about that? In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19, Jesus said, go therefore. Sometimes I think we sit back and wait for people to come to us. What about the idea of going to them? What about being preemptive, proactive? Going to them first, reaching out to them, recognizing that there are people that are hurting and suffering and sick and in sin. And we have the answer. We have the message. And sadly, all, all too often we keep it to ourselves. And then note, if you would, in verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. Jesus saw people that were sinful, that were sick, that were suffering, and that were, as we would say from time to time, they were spent. They were weary. You know what? There are a lot of people in our world today, if you were to ask them, are you tired of how you're living? They would tell you yes. Are there people in our community that are, as we would from time to time say, they are beaten down by their lifestyle, by an accumulation of things in life? The answer would be yes. They're weary and tired and they're hurting. 
Could we help them? Could we in some way make a difference in their lives? I would hope so. You look at Jesus and you think about his interest in people. And Jesus is interested in the human being. Are we interested? Sometimes we say we're interested, but do we show it? Do we demonstrate our interest, our compassion for people? Jesus was compassionate. He was sympathetic. He could feel with the hurts and the ills of other individuals. And then it says they were not only weary, but scattered like sheep having no shepherd. People whose lives are in disarray. They have no leader, no direction. They lack aim in life, as we would say. So when we talk about the harvest, first and foremost, Jesus saw people in the harvest. And in light of that, Jesus was interested, he was interested in people. And so I ask you again tonight, are we interested in people? Second thing you need to consider in light of this, and that is not only was Jesus interested in people, but he invested in people. Jesus made an investment in the lives of people. In the business world, sometimes you have to spend money to make money. By the same token, if we're going to reach the lost, if we're going to, in some way, capitalize on the opportunities that we have before us, we've got to make some investments. Investments that will call for our time, our talents, our treasures. Well, why would we want to invest in the lives of people? Let me tell you why Jesus invested in people. Because he recognized behind every single human face was an eternal soul. I'm not sure we get that. I'm not sure that we have gotten to the point where we understand that every single human being represents a human soul. A soul that's going to live one day forever either in heaven or hell. And you might be just the person that influences somebody to go to heaven. You might be the only person that can reach somebody. I want you to listen to what Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus understood the worth of the human soul. Do we understand it? Or is it just some type of verbal semantic for us? You know, we talk about the soul, we talk about people, we talk about numbers, but do we really understand what it's all about? Do we get it? Do we get the fact that we're talking about the lives of people, the eternal lives of people are at stake here? Right here in this community. Not just in this community, but in this church. There are people that could be here tonight, that should be here tonight. They ought to be here, but they're not. And just like we talk about the harvest out here in the world and having to convert people and reach people, there are some people in the church here that we need to reconvert. They need to have a come to Jesus meeting, don't they? And you might be just the person that can reach them, that can shake them up, wake them up, revive them. 
because God knows they need it. So, Jesus, interested in people. Are you interested in people? Jesus, invested in people. Are you willing to invest your life in the lives of other people? Do you really care? Are you concerned? Are you willing to do something about it? Would you be willing to use your time for the cause? Would you be willing to use whatever talents you have? We have a pool of talents here. So many talents, unbelievable talents. Right here in this church, all of us can use whatever talents we have for the good of Christ. And then your treasures. I mentioned this morning the event that occurred yesterday and how there were a lot of children's lives that were brightened because of this church. You made a lot of young folks very, very happy yesterday. And I think about all that we have, materially speaking, and many of these kids don't have hardly anything. And yet we had the opportunity to make a difference. And to those that planned and prepared and organized and made yesterday such a great day, my hat's off to you. You did an outstanding job. It was a great work. And you look at the life, you look at Jesus and his earthly ministry. Jesus was interested in children. We ought to be interested in children. We ought to care about them. And so Jesus saw people in the harvest. Second thing, Jesus saw a plenteous harvest. Look at verse 37. He said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. Jesus had the ability to see potential in people. He had the ability to see the potential that was right before him. Sometimes, I'm afraid we don't see potential. Sometimes we don't see opportunities. Opportunities are wonderful things, but if you don't seize those opportunities, guess what? They pass you by. They go by you so fast. Paul would oftentimes ask people to pray for him that a door might be open for him to share the gospel. Look, when that door opens, we need to be ready to run through it because one day that door will close, and once that door closes, those opportunities that were so bountiful are gone forevermore. And so, when we talk about a plentiful harvest, Jesus saw a plentiful harvest. In what way? How could Jesus see opportunity among this great multitude, this great throng of people? And you think about the message that he had, what Jesus had to offer. What Jesus had to offer is the same thing that we have to offer people today. First and foremost, Jesus recognized that there were a lot of people in the first century that lacked aim in life. In other words, they lacked direction. They had no direction. Listen again to what is said. Look if, look if you would at verse 36. 
Matthew said Jesus was moved with compassion for the people because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. There are a whole lot of people in our world today, if you ask them what's your life all about, if you were to ask them do you have purpose, direction, aim in life, they'd say, what are you talking about? They don't have any. And yet, we understand what life is all about. There are a lot of folks that don't understand what life's about. It's as if they're a ship in the midst of a sea without a rudder. And they're just being tossed to and fro and back and forth. And so here we are. We understand what life is all about. Ultimately, what life is about is bringing honor and glory to God. And God can give purpose and direction to the lives of people. And so many people in our world today don't have any purpose. They don't have any direction. Sadly, there are a whole lot of people in our world today, they have everything, but they don't have anything. Do you remember in Luke chapter 18 when a young ruler came to Jesus and he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these have I observed from my youth up. And Jesus said, but one thing you lack. He said, go and sell all that you have, distribute to the poor. And he said, you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But Luke said the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Here was a guy, he had everything, but he didn't have anything. And I promise you there are people in our world today, there are people right here in Olive Branch, they have everything, but they don't have anything. And here's the key, you're living beside some of those people. You're working with some of those people. You're going to school with some of those people. You know the people I'm talking about. And you've got the answer. So, can we point them in the right direction? Jesus understood there were a lot of people that lacked aim in life. He also recognized there were a lot of people that lacked, as he would say, an abundant life. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There are a lot of people in our world today, their happiness, satisfaction, contentment in life is super, superficial at best. It's all dictated on, on what they have and how the circumstances of life are suited to them. But let something happen, let life fall apart, they don't have anything. They don't have that abundant life. They're not rich in Christ. But that's where we come in. Because like Jesus, we know the gospel can change the lives of people, can it? The gospel can give, can give people something to sink their teeth into, something with substance. And there are a lot of folks in our world today that have no substance. There's a third thing, and that is Jesus recognized that there are a lot of folks in our world today, a lot of people, that lacked an advantageous life. There are people in this city, there are people all across this country that are, at a, that are at a severe disadvantage in life. 
They're disadvantaged. And sadly, one of the reasons they're disadvantaged is because they haven't taken the time to explore the manual, the book, that can make their life much, much better. Do you remember in John chapter 6 when many of the disciples were leaving the Lord, walking away because he had identified himself as the bread of life? And Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? And Simon Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? And then here's what he said, for you have the words of life eternal. Think about all the people in this city and then expand that, all the people in the Mid-South, all the people in the South, all the people in the North, and just go from country to country. All of the people that are at a severe disadvantage because they're trying to make it through life without divine guidance, without this book. Jesus pointed people in the direction of truth. In this city, are there people that would like to be a better father? Yes. Read the book. Are there people that would like to be a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better student, a better employee, a better employer? a better citizen, read the book. This book has the answers. Are there people in our world that are disadvantaged, disenfranchised? Yes. But many times we go without because we fail to look in the right place. This book has the answers. And you think about Jesus. Where did people point individuals in his day and time? To truth? Did Jesus not say, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free? I mentioned a moment ago, people like a ship out on the sea without a rudder. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Jeremiah, in the long ago, said, it's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. You can't make it in this life alone. You'll fail. When God called Joshua... <laughs> to assume the lead among the children of Israel, he told him to feed on his word, to not depart to the right nor to the left, and he said, you will make your way successful. You'll have good success. People want to be successful in life. Well, how, do you be how can you be successful in life? Follow the word of God. So here we are, we have this treasure. And we can say to people in this community and all around us, look, I can tell you, I can tell you how to be a better husband, a better wife, a better father, mother, whatever. Study with me. Study this book. Make it a part of your life. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study tonight. Jesus saw a problem with the harvest. Listen again to what he said in verse 37. The harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus said, here's the problem. The harvest is great. Opportunities abounding. The problem, we don't have enough workers. We don't have enough laborers. 
You know what the problem is today as we speak? Same problem. We don't have enough workers. We don't have enough laborers. We don't have enough folk. We don't have enough people that want to make a difference. Remember just a moment ago, I said Jesus was interested in people. And Jesus invested in people. If we want to see a great harvest, then we have to be interested in people and we've got to invest in people. There are three things the Lord needs from each of us. And not just from us, but three things Jesus needs from every single member in this church. All of us. God needs every one of us, whether young or old, doesn't matter. He needs us all. So what is it God needs? First, let me say that God, God needs your heart for the harvest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, if there is first a willing mind. You know, we can do a lot of things. We can do a lot of good things if we have the mindset, can't we? It begins with the attitude of I, I can. Do you remember Joshua and Caleb? When God sent 12 spies out to survey the land of promise, Ten of the spies came back and said, we are not able to go, over, to go over to the promised land and conquer the giants. Joshua and Caleb, they said, we can. Please listen. God does not want to hear us say, we can't. He expects to hear us say, we can. If we say we can't, that's a lack of faith. If God said for us to do something, then he gives us the tools necessary to complete the task, doesn't he? Joshua and Caleb had faith. Do we have faith? Come make an observation. I believe we, as Christians, I believe we, we believe the truth. I believe we preach the truth, we teach the, we teach the truth, and I think we defend the truth very well. I just don't think we practice the truth in a lot of ways. We preach it. We preach a good sermon. We don't practice it. We don't practice what we preach. We talk about having faith and being able to do this and do that, and then we turn around and say, we can't do that. It'll never work here. We've tried that and we failed. You think, God, you think God cares about our excuses? You think he does? You think God's going to accept our feeble, frail, faulty excuses? No. No. And a hundred times more, no. Not going to happen. We've got to have a heart for the harvest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, Paul said, speaking of those people, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Have you given yourself to the Lord? 
I know there are some folks that are not here tonight because of health reasons. Some people can't be here because they fear to drive at night. I understand that. Some people have to work. I understand that. There are some people not here tonight and they're sitting home watching television tonight. They chose not to be here. That's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Symptomatic of greater, greater spiritual troubles. That's why we've got to reconvert a lot of folks that are not here tonight. They need to be reconverted. They need to be revived. They need to be awakened. Paul said, awake you who sleep and Christ shall give you light. So, we have to have a heart. There's a second thing we need. We need a head for the harvest. And by that I simply mean God needs your brain. He needs your back, I understand that, but he needs your brain. When Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, what he's saying is it's up to you to determine the methodology to reach the lost. Now I want you to hear, please listen to me right now, please, Please listen. There is no one person here that has all the answers to how we can best reach this community. There's not one person. There's no one person here that has all the answers on how we can be more visible in this community, how we can better reach this community for Christ. But collectively, collectively, oh, we can do that. God needs your brain. He needs your mind. You have ideas. You have, there are things that you see that I don't see. There are things that you see that other members don't see. And maybe there are things that we could do better that would help us better reach this community, better be more visible in this community. Look, don't keep it to yourself. Jesus said you're a light in this world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We have the responsibility of being light bearers in this community. And what God needs is for us to work together and to better light this community. God needs you. You think about how many intelligent, smart, capable people we have in this congregation. And we're so blessed. We got so many things to offer. You have so much talent, unbelievable talent. You have great ideas. You have ideas on how we can be visible and how we can be viable in this community. Don't keep it to yourself. Look, we're trying, look, it's a team, it's a team effort. It's a process. We're trying to get there together. All I'm saying is, if you know how we can better reach this community for Christ, how we can better be visible for the Lord, then tell us. We need to know it. We don't have all the, I don't have all the answers. I'd be lying if I told you I did. And so there are things that you see that maybe I don't see. There are things that other people see. Can we learn from each other? Yes. Should we learn from each other? Yes. So, what's God need? He needs your heart, he needs your head, and he needs your hands. Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We want to reach people, we have to, we have to view ourselves as laborers, as workers. 
Are you willing to do what you can? Are you willing to do what you can to make this a great harvest? 2017 is on us. 2017 could be a great year with God's help, God's blessing, and with your help. What I want to encourage you to do tonight is to think about how you can be better used in the kingdom of God in this area. Ask yourself the question, what can I do? How can I help? Are there things that need to be done that I could do and no one else could do? If there's something you can do, do it. Do it. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says the people had a mind to work. When people work together, great things happen. And I really and truly believe that if we'll work together, great things can happen. So tonight I close by asking you the question, are you concerned about the harvest? Are you willing to invest? We need you. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. God will put you in the church, Acts 2.47. And if you'll live faithfully, God will give you a crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a Christian, maybe you need the prayers of the church. Look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.